The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia. Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association, and welcome to Season 2 of Retail Therapy, a podcast proudly brought to you by American Express. The ARA is Australia's oldest, largest and most diverse retail body, representing around 7,500 independent, national and international retail members with more than 100,000 shop fronts. Significantly, 95% of our membership is small business, who are our focus for Season 2. Small business is big business. In this season, we'll be getting to know the people behind the small businesses that are the lifeblood of so many of our communities. We'll be chatting to industry leaders who are shaping the small business landscape and learning more about the digital innovations that are driving them to success. Joining me in the Amex Lounge for some retail therapy today is Amanda Rose, a leading business and careers expert who is also the founder of Small Business Women Australia and Western Sydney Women. Amanda has also works with a lot of business owners and CEOs, helping them to transform their workplace cultures, building team confidence and resilience. Amanda is a mentor and a passionate advocate for women, and I'm looking forward to talking with her all about the great work she's doing. Amanda, welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, Amanda, about 38% of small businesses in in Australia are owned by women, and you work closely with many of them at Small Business Women Australia. Tell us how the formation of that group came about and the work you do to support small business owners. Well, actually, um, it's been it was on my mind for a while to do something for small business women because I found that they were missing when it came to advocacy. So you know, you you've got groups. Uh, you know, business associations and so forth. But a lot of women, especially majority women that have a turnover under 500 case, they're kind of not even considered uh, to be, ad, you know, to advocate for. And it wasn't until, um, you know, we, the women actually went into lockdown uh, originally that with COVID that I said, you know what, let's start doing something for the women. Now's the opportunity to get them to get online, to change how they do their business, to advocate for them in the media. So I was like the first person to come out in the media saying, hi, so I'm going to represent the women. And it changed them. So they now know they've got someone to advocate for them. Uh, So they now know when there's something happening in government or in the media, or just in general, if it impacts them, and let's face it, women are unique. They're usually the ones that are looking after the children. They're usually the ones that are juggling everything, uh, trying to you know do it all at once. So they've got different needs and different barriers. When they know they're being heard, it builds confidence in them. So we wanted to advocate and also give them free training and a community where they can realise uh, we're not alone. Amanda, it's amazing work that you do. I, I know, look, in the, in the conversations you have with small business owners and women in particular, what are they telling you in terms of the challenges and the barriers that are blocking them from success? Oh, that's interesting. So often there's a couple of things that they're telling me that are barriers, but also the things that they don't realise that are barriers. So the first thing is finance. 
So having the uh, access to money, and we're not talking massive amount of money, we're talking microfinance for small business women, and also expertise. So often women don't realize that they need a really good accountant or they need a really good marketer or whatever it is that they need. So they lack that understanding of the business world and what you need to run a a really good small business and also their understanding of what is success. Often they feel that personal satisfaction, like nearly 50% of them have said that personal satisfaction is considered success, which is great, but also horrifying because it should be profit. (laughs) So it should be, what what are your profit margins? And are you really successful? Are you going into debt? So it's kind of interesting what they don't know they need to know and what they do know they don't know, which is access to the right information. Because even business advisory services, and I've tested them out and people have come to me, don't have the level of expertise that they need uh, to do well in business. You raise some really good points there. For female entrepreneurship is on the rise with women-led enterprises increasing at a faster rate than male-owned businesses. It's something that was news to me. I didn't realise this. You must be happy to see this as a growing trend. It is because, let me tell you, they think differently. You know, we need both. Like women think differently. They've got different needs. They spot different gaps in the marketplace. Uh, and, they're, you know, some are creative and some are all these different talents. And because they've seen other women do it, they're now thinking, I can do it too. And it also provides an income stream. So another big factor of small business women, not all of them want to be the next multi-million dollar business owner, right? Some are, and I've worked with some that are doing really well and they're taking off. But you know what? A lot of them want to create a job for themselves. They want flexibility, but they want a job. So you could be a bookkeeper, right? Instead of working for a company, you pick up a handful of clients, you earn the income you need to support your family, and that's it. And that's okay. So I think the world is kind of saying, unless you're making millions of dollars, you're not successful. Well, really, no. So a lot of women are thinking, well, I could do that, create a job for myself. And do you think that partly there's a benefit for women that wants to run, sort of create that job for themselves because they want that flexibility as well? It sort of talks about able to raise a family and be able to manage that from home and work when it suits them. Yeah, and it does because, I mean, I remember when I was in the corporate world, um, they were so rigid with their time. You know, I didn't even have a family to, you know, I didn't have to juggle that, but I knew what I, the times that I was effective and not. So I tried to negotiate my premium time to be at work. They're like, no, 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 you have to be between here and this time. I could have sat there all day. So I think women are realising, well, hang on a minute, I can be really efficient here. I could do four hours of really good work and juggle family life around that and not put too much pressure on themselves. But I think the gap there is making sure they're spending their time on the right things. Do do you think in the the current environment, what do you think are the key things small business should be focused on to ensure that they're on the right path to success? Actually, I think they should be looking at uh, what I like to use the term follow the money. So I think they need to be looking at the industries that have the income and have the the spend, right? So where are the big companies, even mid-sized businesses, government, whatever it is, what's the future hold and how can your product or service cater to that market or that demographic? You know, it could be age, industry, whatever it is. Don't just stay you know, sitting stagnant in what you do, have a look because sometimes you're like, oh, we're not getting the money because that industry shut down or or, or it's not as busy. 
okay, like technology's taken off. Look at technology companies. They still need admin. They still need cleaning. They still need a whole range of things. So follow the money. Um, I think that's a big part. And also understanding money, understanding cash flow and budgets and things like that. I reckon that can, that I've seen that turn businesses around, just understanding, um, you know, the financial literacy of a small business. Yeah, look, you raised some really good points there that, you know, often fundamental, but in fact, you know, can make or break a business. Uh, and you mentioned technology. We're seeing a lot of emerging trends with innovation and technology. How can small businesses embrace these opportunities? It's actually, it, it's a mindset thing, I, I honestly believe. I think I think technology and innovation has been such a out there thing for so long that people, oh, it's not for me, oh, innovation's a bit fancy or it's a bit too technical, when really it's not. It's creating a solution <laughs> to a problem, right, and thinking, making up something someone else hasn't yet. And technology, I mean, we use it every day. So we need to translate these opportunities and, ha- and show women in particular pathways on being involved in that industry. So technology used to be, you know, just the blokes and techie. It's not, it's everything. It's from automation of what you do in your business to, you know, creating an online product, which isn't that hard. Well, you you do a lot of work in Western for Western Sydney women, and I guess you would see this all the time. Where particularly with migrant workers, maybe where English is not their first language, and there's a real fear of technology. What would your advice be to those women? I would always say, uh, perfect what you're good at, right? Perfect what you're good at, and come up with your ideas, and then partner with or ask someone who knows their stuff. One thing women really don't don't utilize is when you're in, you have a genuine need and you've got a skill, ask someone that is really good in the area that you don't understand. They will ninety nine percent of the time help you. It could be a thirty minute conversation. There are a lot of free um, services like government, local, state, and federal that will actually sit down and help explain things to you. But there's always you know ask. You know, I always say don't ask, you don't get, but also ask for help. Be genuine about it. You're not trying to take advantage. You're just saying, I've got this really great idea. Is there a way that I can turn this to an online um, service? Absolutely. I, I guess the other thing when you, you you also do a lot of work, which I'm aware of, with a lot of business owners and CEOs on workplace strategy on and on leadership. Do you think we're seeing a shift in terms of business wanting to do more for women, ensuring there's a gender equity Um, and that women are given the opportunities to grow in their roles? Uh, Look, I you know, it's look top down, right? So you're going to get some businesses that really don't care (laughs) and they will never care until the guard changes and it will change. As my mother always said, honey, they're not CEO forever, right? That's true, very true. (laughs) And I've waited, let me tell you, there have been times where I've waited and then jumped in and went, ha, new leader. Um, And it can make a huge difference. But overall, I think, businesses are being switched on. More women are coming up through the ranks as well. But they're also seeing that it's not just the right thing to do. It's smart. Yes. You know, women are just, they're different and they think differently and they're brilliant in so many ways. Um, and I often find from my experience, when it comes to a company, I never feel like a token female or any different when they're smart and they're strategic and they're like, oh, that's a good point. And they know I'm different because I'm a female and that's what they love. Then you've got businesses that kind of have you there or, you know, they don't particularly like it. And usually I find within 30 seconds, it's because I'm smarter than all of them. (laughs) (laughs) 
Very, very good point. That's, that should motivate many people listening to this podcast. <laughs> well, the thing is, right, it, it's partnership. I'm all about groups working together, diverse in, in thought. Um, you know, that's where you get innovation and that's where you get empathy as well because when the more you understand the differences of other people, I think um, the kinder you become and the more understanding in general with your community and your customers and everyone. When you talk to um, women, just generally your colleagues, people that are, that are relying on you to sort of help them through um, a lot of the uh, issues they might be dealing with in the workplace or in their, their small business, what do you think are the greatest barriers for women in the workforce? Is, is it a, access to affordable childcare comes to mind for me, but are, they, are there other key issues that government and corporates need to be looking at and addressing? That's a really good question. So, yes, definitely access to affordable childcare, that's a functional issue, right? So that's a a physical barrier stopping women. But I'll tell you the number one thing women say to me is the issue, regardless of what level, regardless of education, is confidence, right? But it's their perception of that confidence, right? So it's very much, I don't feel really confident to do this. I'm not really, you know, ready for that. And when I dig deep, you know, into why it's because someone somewhere along the line has told them that they're not good enough or has mocked them or made fun of them or has done something really silly and they've taken it personally, right? But you take, you deal with that and their confidence shines, you know? So women really need to, you know, the whole fake it till you make it. They need to pretend that whoever said that horrible thing to them or that workplace that was a bad experience, pretend that never happened, Uh, and move forward. But I tell you, if we can get every single woman as confident as they can possibly be, I tell you, they'd be serious trouble because they would just take over, not in a bad way, um, but they'd be shining bright because all this potential, all this talent is literally being hidden out of fear that someone else is going to say that to them one day. Did you remember where you and I met? Yes, I do. You do. So um, the story here, Amanda, was that, you know, we we're both waiting in the green room uh, about to go on to um, a News Limited um, TV piece and you'd asked me what I did in the, during my day and I said to you, I said, oh, I was just watching um, an interview that I did to to see whether, you know, that I, to make sure that I was confident. And you, and you said to me, well, Paul, if I watch anything that I did, if I look, I never look back because if I do that, I would never... Um, be able to be interviewed again. And I thought that was a really smart thing to say. And I remember looking you up and saying, you know, Amanda, thank you. You you had such a positive impact on me and you did. So, you know, so I think the thing is for me, I guess for people listening today, I'd be keen to understand how you've built your confidence because, you know, sometimes uh, people would be surprised to see, you know, people in public positions or people that are, you know, that are out talking to the media that they are super confident, but that's not always the way. Sometimes people have to build that. I'd be keen to know, you know, how you've built that confidence over time. So I say confidence is layer by layer, right? Confidence is built decision by decision, right? It could be unfollowing someone on your social media that's making you feel bad. It could be going for something, achieving something. It's all little tiny things moving forward. It's not that you wake up one day and you think, oh, I'm confident today. It's actually a process. And not looking back is a big part of that. You know, I look back in my my 20s and 30s and I could literally curl up into a ball and, and, and shake at how stupid I've been um, in a lot of cases. But the key is I've learned. So I learn and then I apply and then I teach. But the confidence is also don't take things personally. 
you will find that 98% of the time people comment based on their insecurities or their fears that you're very good at what you do. And if, if anything, you should pity them. You should say, I really feel sorry for someone who has to treat me that way because they're threatened by me when really all I want to do is my job. So, and that then actually builds more confidence, you know, having that empathy. So I think it's just decision by decision and also realizing, yeah, don't take it personally and have your goal. If you don't have a goal, if you don't have a focus, oh my goodness, you get swamped into everyone else's views and thoughts and and you get into like Facebook rants or, you know, the media overwhelms you. You should be like, this is where I'm headed. This is what I'm doing. And that's it. How much of your childhood do you think has had, had a part to play in your confidence? Uh, I would say thanks to my mum. I mean, let's just face it, right? My first word was no in life. So, uh, <laughs> which I thought was Is that brilliant. a fact? It, well, it is. And my number plate actually is yeah, no. So, <laughs> so I do like the word no. And I think we don't utilise that enough. We don't no. have boundaries. We don't say no because we fear someone's reaction when no. I said, no, deal with it, right? You don't have to be rude. But my childhood, my mum always put me into things. I was, this is going to shock everyone, I was shy, okay? So I was extremely shy and she would say, give it a go. Literally says it to me to this day when I want to think of doing something, i oh, give it a shot, what have you got to lose? So I would go in talent shows without the talent. I would do different things. I'd have fun. I would do sports, some things I was good at, some things not so much. But I was always doing things. And I think everything that I did made me feel a little bit better that I can do that. Some I did well and some I didn't. But I always had the attitude, give it a go, what have you got to lose? You know, and if something didn't work out, you learn from it and you move on. Hmm. Do you make mistakes? Of course I do. <laughs> I've been <laughs> so, married. <laughs> so, well, okay. Well, <laughs> we, we could go there if you like. That'd make it, no, that no. might be podcast series too. I know, um, right? No, I do. Well, I guess the thing is that, you know, often people uh, lose, don't have that confidence. And I, I see this in women all the time because they're too concerned about making a mistake. Um, and to, they're striving for perfection. They, they want to present as being, you know, having their families being invisible and trying to actually get through yes. their, their day and they're juggling, spinning so many plates at the same time. I, I guess what's your, um, your advice to women that, you know, you know, can they have it all? You know, can you have a, can you have a family, um, you know, and be confident in a, in a business where you can, you can actually get an income and survive through that and, 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 and grow? Well, as the saying goes, you can have it all, just not all at once, right? So map out that plan, map out that 20-year plan and say, right, this is when I'm going to, uh, uh, you know, have children and maybe study, have some time off, then I'm going to do this with my career. But don't, I think the biggest trap is to try and do it all, to show everyone you can do it all because, you know, it's what's important to you. So you might not be much of a social person, then don't go out and save your time or you want to spend time with your children. I had a client once that said to me, I just want to spend time with my daughter on Fridays. And I said, well, there you go. You don't work Fridays, done. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then she moved all her clients around that time. So it's what's important to you. And I think that in itself gives you that peace um, and that contentment. And you're not going to find that in working 20 hours a day, seven days a week. I mean, I don't have children, but I'm a family first person. So if my family needs me, they're a priority over anything else because at the end of the day, this is just a job, right? Mm. Absolutely. I guess I'm also thinking about those women that may be, in, may be thinking about listening to this podcast today and actually thinking about starting a business. What, what advice could you give them? 
Oh, okay. So do your research. Uh, and this, and because I started a media uh, business seven years ago, uh, which I've since sold, but I remember when I started, I had no idea about me. I, I, what do you do? So I Googled, obviously, and I looked up things. But then I contacted people and asked them for advice. I paid people for advice. So do your research in the business. Just because your friends and family want to buy that from you or they think your service is great doesn't necessarily mean it will be. So do a business case on what you're doing. So set a budget amount that you want to spend on maybe some research, ask um, some people to ask around for you, do what you need to do to check the viability of your idea and uh, whether it's got a commercial value to it. Because just because you want to do it doesn't mean you can, but there is a way. I mean, there's always something you can do in business, but be realistic as well and try and have a buffer of about six months worth of income, you know, in your savings account. So you can focus on your business full-time. Yeah, because you don't want to be worrying about money, do you? No, because <laughs> then you don't you don't actually invest in it. So some people work full-time and then on, on their business on the side. Big mistake because you're worn out, you're tired, and you're trying to juggle everything. So part-time is good with business on the side, but start saving your money. Live poor for a while, save your money, uh, and then build your business. Yeah, good, good advice there. The, the the other question that comes to mind for me is that when you speak to women in small business, what is the number one issue that they all that they're consistent about, and what's your advice to overcome that? Really interesting. So, what the biggest issue is opportunity, right? So, so that's why being heard is a very powerful thing for them because it gives them more brand, more awareness, more opportunity. They uh, sometimes don't feel like they're taken seriously, which means they don't get that opportunity. So in New York City, um, they actually have a, um, in, for the their council, 50% of all government contracts go to female, majority female-led owned businesses. Right. And as a result, it, you know, they thrived and they took and they grew their business. So a lot of women are really stuck at a certain size. Right. They want to grow, but they're not given the opportunity or the tenders. Because let's face it, I I work with the boys and in the tenders and all those big contracts, and it's not considered. You'd have to be quite a feisty woman like me to push through to say, hey, give me an opportunity, give me a chance. So I think we need to make it a bit easier for them, or even training them on how to access that next stage. Good, good advice there. I, I also did a bit of research on um, on your website, um, Amanda. And what I was sort of uh, astonished or shocked to see, there's a statistic on your website that said that 65% of women in Western Sydney earn less than the state average salary for a full-time woman. 65%, that's outrageous. How do we go about addressing that discrepancy, do you think? Oh, look, that's twofold. Firstly, it shouldn't happen. And if you're no. a company listening to this, go and check that you're paying everyone, not only like this male-female equal pay, but female-female from different regions equal pay. Wow. Uh, it, because often, you know, from Western Sydney, whether it's just uh, generational Australian or migrant or whomever, they, they just want a job, right? They don't think that you have to negotiate your, your, your salary and that you're getting paid less than someone else. It's not even on top of their mind. They're just trying to get on with life and work and so forth. But there is a Western Sydney stigma. There is a real stigma out there that there's not as smart, not as valued. It's ridiculous, but it's real. And this is just an example of that. So companies need to review to make sure everyone is treated equally and fairly, which should be standard. But, you know, obviously sometimes you you don't look down to the detail. So I encourage them to do that. But also for women to demand what they're worth. Do your research, find out what the pay is for that type of role and ask for the baker shop and you'll get a loaf of bread. Don't go in with your bare minimum. 
Good, good, good advice and good thinking. I, we've managed to get through most of this podcast. Unfortunately, it's drawing to a close and we both promised each other we'd stay away from the C word. But um, I have to ask you this question now. So if, when you look back at um, the last 12 months and you think about the LGAs that were all become, you know, quite big hotspots for the, for the state but then the country um, and uh, the impact that would have had on small business owners, particularly uh, women, what do you, what's your reflections on that? that time and what has it done in progressing or not progressing women in in Western Sydney? Well, you know, it's put Western Sydney back 100 years uh, with treating them differently. Right. Uh, you know, there's lack of communication, uh, moving of goalposts, uh, people losing their jobs or not being able to do their jobs for particular reasons, and it's really crushed their hopes. So when you talk about you know, one minute we're encouraging women to um, feel safe and, and free domestic violence and all these wonderful things for women. Oh, but don't worry about your income. We're just going to cut that off completely overnight and then tell you on a weekly basis whether or not you have an opportunity to earn a living. And the thing is, especially in Western Sydney, usually the couple are both small business owners or, you know, say, for example, the tradie guy, you know, has his small business, can't do it. And then his partner is working at a cafe or professional service, can't do it. Yes. You've got the whole family unit suffering. Now, the, the impact of that is huge. I mean, they're very resilient. Let me tell you, I think they're going to surprise everyone and come back raging and, and potentially vote everyone out. But, you know, it's that whole they're very resilient, which is why Western Sydney I call the heart of New South Wales because they built. New South Wales, and they're the future of New South Wales when you look at the infrastructure of what's happening. But how they were treated, I think they've been um, impacted because of um, the lack of communication and, and they've been treated different to everyone else, and they feel that and they know that. Well, being a Western Melbourne boy, I completely understand what you're saying. Um, Amanda, thanks for joining us today in the Amex Lounge. Congratulations and keep up all the great work you're doing for small business and for women in particular. Thank you so much. Joining me now for a quick fireside chat is Mark Newman, CEO at Dimix. Due to the pandemic, you've seen an increase in online sales as well as sales in your own suburban and regional stores. While your inner city stores have seen a decrease in sales, is this trend continuing to affect your business model into 2022? And how will you be working with American Express to continue providing your customers with a fantastic experience while encouraging growth? Uh, the pandemic has indeed uh, led to a reduction in foot traffic to city locations um, and a shift to online sales. Uh, being a franchise business, uh, it's been important for us to fully harness Omnichannel, um, you know, thereby allowing our customers to browse uh, online, um, but also then shop where they want, when they want, but then deliver that customer into a franchise store through things like click and collect or ship from store. Uh, we know from our book lover loyalty program that our omni-channel customers have a higher annual spend than those that either shop only in store or only online. Um, and this is actually the same with our American Express customers. We can see from the American Express Insights team that they, the customers that shop with us both online and in store have a, a higher average transaction value and higher spend. Um, and so we work with the Insights team uh, to target the top 20% of our customers who are high spending customers to offer additional loyalty benefits such as free shipping or bonus points. Um, and, you know, we expect this trend to continue to some degree through uh, the next couple of years. Thanks for chatting, Mark. Congratulations on all the great work you're doing at Dimmicks and all the best for the future. 
You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. We can be found wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, wherever you love to connect. All the links can be found in the show notes.